how do we live wisely in dark and difficult times? How do we live wisely? That is a perennial question people have wrestled with throughout the ages. And of course, people today seek an answer to that very question. What does it look like to live a wise life? Oftentimes, the answer we get to that question from the world throws us back on ourselves, throws us back on our own resources. If you want to live a wise life, you have to somehow depend upon yourself or the ingenuity of humanity. I heard about a computer scientist who's developing an artificial intelligence program, and he is inputting into this program all the wisdom from various religious traditions and philosophical schools. And this artificial intelligence, he said, will give us answers to the most vexing questions that we face today. And uh, I thought, well, I've studied enough religions and philosophical schools to know that there's conflict and there's tension between these different traditions and schools. Who gets to decide? And besides, who's inputting this? It's a human being is inputting this into the program. But many people are starting to look to technology and artificial intelligence for wisdom, for answers. But still, it, it starts with us. If you Google, like I did this week, how to live a wise life, you will get lots of responses. But one website, this was from a Harvard professor, said you need to uh, first determine your values set your goals, and then keep track of your time to see if you're spending your time aligned with your values and your goals. And that's that's pretty good practical advice as far as it goes. I mean, Paul says in Ephesians 5.16 that we are to make the best use of our time. So it's wise to consider how we spend the time that we have, the precious time that we have on earth. But again, notice the starting point is you. You determine your values, your goals. The Bible has a wisdom tradition. And it has a different starting point than what the world has to offer. The starting point is God, not the self. The the first step towards wisdom according to the Bible and the book of Proverbs is the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Proverbs 1.7. The fear of the Lord. It starts with reverencing God. God taking God with the utmost seriousness. And behind that is the idea that God is the creator of this life. The designer of this life. And so if we want life to be lived well, if we want to live well and wisely in this life, we need to live according to the way God, our creator, has designed this life. Life will go better if I follow the creator of life. And so when we get to Paul here in Ephesians, writing about wisdom and how to walk wisely, he says, this is how you're to walk wisely in these days which are evil. Have you thought about that lately as you look at the news and thought, well, we're living in evil days. There's a lot of good in the world, but there's a lot of evil. So how do we navigate that? How do we live wisely? And Paul says, yes, you're to 
to be careful about how you spend your time. But then that begs the question, if wisdom is about how do I spend my time wisely, then how do I find out how I ought to spend my time? And he says in verse 16, don't be foolish, but understand what the will of the Lord is. So to live wisely in evil times, in difficult, dark days, we need to understand the will of the Lord. Pursue understanding the will of God and then line ourselves up with His wisdom, who is the Lord, the Creator, the Designer of life. And the good news is that God gives us this wisdom. We don't have to look to ourselves. We don't have to Google it. We don't have to build a supercomputer to find out wisdom for this life. God, because He is good and wants us to live a wise life, a good life, God, out of His grace and mercy, has provided wisdom to us. And it's all throughout the pages of this book. Understand what the will of the Lord is. Where do I find the will of the Lord? Here. His revealed will in Scripture. And so the Apostle Paul is giving us God's wisdom for evil days under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And he gives this to the first century believers in Ephesus. Ephesus was a little town. Actually, it was quite a big town and an important city in Paul's day. It's um, in uh, what we call modern, well, modern day Turkey today. An important town, Ephesus. And Paul is helping these new Christians in first century Ephesus to navigate their culture, their life, their world, which was filled with a lot of darkness and evil and how to live wisely. And under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, this is what he says. This is not everything, of course, God has to say about walking wisely, but it's something that they needed to hear. I think it's something we need to hear as well. I would like to be wiser. How about you? Let's see what Paul says. Most of this is is positive, but he starts with this negative. Verse 18. And do not get drunk with wine. For that is debauchery but be filled with the Holy Spirit. Biblical wisdom deals with reality, the real world. The real world in first century Ephesus and throughout the Greco-Roman world was people got drunk on wine. Just like in 21st century St. Louis, people get drunk. Right? And Paul says that's not a wise way to live. That is, that is not God's will. And, um, you know, the Old Testament has some positive things to say about wine. Um, Psalm 104 praises God for the gift of wine, which gladdens the heart. So there are positive scriptures about wine throughout the Bible, but the Bible is always negative when it comes to drunkenness. And here we have Paul saying to these first century believers, don't get drunk on wine. It leads to debauchery or it is debauchery. Now, that's an old antiquated word, right? Debauchery. When's the last time you saw that on TV? Somebody used the word debauchery. Maybe it's helpful to connect that to an image. This is the same word that Jesus uses. The same word that Jesus uses, uh, the same root word, when he describes the downfall of the prodigal son in Luke 15. You know, Jesus' most famous parable, the prodigal son, the prodigal son was living... uh, a comfortable life with a loving father on this wonderful estate. And then he rebels against his father. He says, I'm going to strike out on my own. I want the money now, dad. I want the inheritance now. 
I'm going to go out on my own. And we know the rest of the story. He um, he squandered, the Bible says, his inheritance in debauched or reckless living. That's the word that's used there. Same word, debauched or reckless or riotous living. What happened to the prodigal son is that he became so poor and so desperate that his job was to feed the pigs. And he was so hungry that he said, I would like to even have the food of the pigs if I could only have that. So debauchery is waking up in the pigsty and saying, how did I get here? You know, there's a series of choices that I've made. And here I am in the pigsty. And we thank God for the rest of the, the story of the prodigal son, that there's a loving father waiting to embrace him who has lived, who's squandered all this in debauched and riotous living. There's a loving father waiting to embrace him. And uh, I think many of us can relate to that. So many of us. But Paul is warning here, this is where getting drunk on wine can lead. So I think Paul would say to, for example, a high school senior, Christian, getting ready to go off to college. And in a lot of colleges, there's a problem with binge drinking. The National Institute on Alcohol Abuse, a recent report said 37.9% of students binge drink on campus. And they give criteria for what that means in terms of how much intake beer that is. And it's a lot. Almost 38% of students Binge drink. I think Paul would say to this Christian going off to a state school where there's that party culture of binge drinking, that is not a wise way for you to live. That can lead to the pigsty. That can lead to all sorts of problems. It leads to moral recklessness and compromising your values. So don't get drunk on wine as you go off to the university. Paul would say to adults who are using alcohol And they find themselves drinking more and more and more of it as a coping mechanism for anxiety and stress and and despair because the world is full of, of evil. The days are evil, so there's a lot of stress and anxiety and despair and people turn to alcohol. And Paul would say, this is not a good use of time. It's not God's will for you. It leads to it leads to recklessness. So Paul says, instead of filling up on wine to the point of recklessness or debauchery, be filled with the Spirit. Be under the influence of the Spirit of God. The Spirit of God is in the life of the believer. The Spirit of God is the presence and power of God with you and in you to help you live wisely and obey God's word. So be under the influence of of the Spirit of God, not of alcohol. We are to yield to the work of the Holy Spirit in our lives. Not set our minds on the things of the flesh, which is the rebellious nature against God. Paul says in Romans 8, do not set your minds on the things of the flesh, which leads to death, which leads to corruption, but set your mind on the things of the Spirit, which leads to, and this is what everybody wants, life and peace. Set your minds on the things of the Spirit, which leads to life and peace. Yield to the Holy Spirit in your life and be filled with the Holy Spirit. This is a wise way to live. And so then Paul gives us a list of of marks of the spirit filled life. Of a wise life lived under the influence of the spirit during these days that are dark and evil. Now, if I was coming up with a list of 
here's what it looks like to have a spirit lived life, to live life under the influence of the Holy Spirit. My list would not have probably been the same as the Apostle Paul's here. You know, there were days when I was younger, my list would have been like performing miracles, signs and wonder, the power of the Spirit that's evident in a manifest way. And thank God that He still does that today. And there have been times in history where God has broken into history, signs and wonders and miracles. And I'm not discounting that. But that would have been sort of my list. The the spiritual firework stuff. But here Paul lists things like singing to the Lord. Being thankful to the Lord. And then this is not in our bulletin. This didn't get printed out. But um, verse 21, he says, submit to one another. There's a big a big surprise. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. This is a mark of the spirit. This is a way to live wisely. So let's just think about some of these things. First of all, Paul says that a mark of a spirit filled life is uh, is to sing. To the Lord. This will help us. um, Grow in the fullness of the spirit. Under the influence of the Holy Spirit. So he says in verse 19, address one another with, and here's some genres of song. (laughs) Psalms, Old Testament Psalms. He's saying to these first century Christians, Gentiles, I want you to go to the hymn book of Israel and I want you to sing these things, the Psalms. Psalms. Hymns. Now, scholars will tell us that in the early church, Christians were writing hymns about Jesus and some of these hymns found their way into the New Testament. There are passages that are written in a hymn-like sort of structure in the New Testament. And the the theory is is that these were hymns that the early church created. And the church is saying these hymns, much like we sing, just like we sing a common body of hymns in the church today. So Paul says, I want you to sing the psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, which I think mean songs that are inspired by the Holy Spirit. Maybe they were spontaneous songs that the Holy Spirit would inspire. And make melody to the Lord with your heart. So it's interesting, Paul saying, you need to sing this out so other people can hear it, address one another with these songs. And, and ultimately, though, you're singing to the Lord in song. And this is a wise and spirit-filled thing to do. This is a good use of your time in these days. To sing to the Lord and to encourage one another in singing. Many of you know uh, the name Johnny Erickson Tata and her story. Johnny Erickson Tata, as a young girl, was in a diving accident. And she became paralyzed as a result of that and has lived her life in a wheelchair for now uh, over four decades. And she's one of the people that I kind of go to when I'm thinking about how to live as a Christian, as a disciple of Christ, in the context of great suffering and difficulty. Because this woman has a a joy of the Lord. That's just evident if you've ever heard her talk. And I've, I've seen the videos on YouTube and I've read many of her books. And part of her discipline, part of her spiritual practice, what keeps her sane and focused on Jesus in the midst of her suffering and her difficulty is singing. And so I don't know if you've ever seen her talk, but sometimes in the middle of a talk, she'll just break out in song and she'll just start singing because that's just so much a part of her spiritual life. One of her books, she talks about 
You know, this very day I was I woke up this morning and I wheeled into my office and I broke out into song. Oh, happy day. Oh, happy day when Jesus washed my sins away. And, and that's just how she is. She she has this spiritual discipline of singing to the Lord, making melody to the Lord in her heart. It's very encouraging to hear that. And she says in her book that singing is a perspective changer. Have you found that to be true sometimes? Singing to the Lord can change your perspective and lift your mood and lift your heart. And sometimes we come into church and we may not feel like singing. Maybe you've experienced this choir. You may not feel like singing some days. But then as you sing, the Lord begins to lift your mood. And as you hear other people sing, and when I hear other people sing and they're singing from their heart, that encourages me. And all of a sudden, my eyes are off myself and off my perspective and, and off the, the culture that I think you know, has so many problems and my eyes are on the Lord. It changes my perspective. And Paul says that is a very good use of your time. To praise God. That is a very spirit filled thing to do. This is God's will that you sing to him and address one another like that. And then in verse 20, he says, here's another mark of the spirit filled life of a wise spirit filled life. That is to give thanks, <laughs> giving thanks always and for everything to God, the father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. I mean, we do that through song, but but we do that in prayer as well. Always giving thanks for everything to God, the father in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, because every good thing that we have in this life ultimately is from the hand of God. And so he says, this is a wise thing to cultivate in your life. Thankfulness, especially when the days are evil, especially when, you know, the news that we hear is filled with so much tragedy and darkness and evil. It's wise to cultivate this habit of thanking God for the good things and setting our minds on the good things. Not to ignore the tragedy, the evil, of course not. But to not let that cloud our vision and to think this is all there is. No, God is a good God and God is doing good things in this world and we're to give Him thanks for that. And so I try to practice that. I try to practice that habit this week because I tend to, sometimes I can get really melancholy about things. I need to be encouraged to Name the good things and give thanks to God for those things. So this week, for example, our kids went to school. We sent our kids off to school and we were thankful about that. And my wife was extremely thankful and she just had this joyous countenance throughout the week. The closer and closer it got. But, you know, when you send your kids off to public school, it, there's some anxiety there. The days are evil. You worry about some things that. They might be taught that are in tension with your beliefs and you've got to work through that. You worry about the negative peer influence and and you got to work through that. And it'd be easy just to focus on that. But I tried to discipline myself this week and say, thank you, God, for good teachers in the public school. The teachers that are really passionate about what they're doing, whether they're Christian or not, I give you thanks for them. You know, thank you for the teacher who's going to teach Grace Shakespeare this year. And thank you for the teacher who's going to teach Noah geometry, although he doesn't want to learn it. And thank you for the elementary school teachers who are going to teach my kids to read and to write better. 
And yeah, you know, there's some things I'm concerned about. But it's not all bad. There's God's grace. There's God's common grace at work in the world. So I'm going to say thank you, God. Be thankful always and for everything. And this week, can you, you can, can I look at my life regardless of the circumstances, regardless of the health concerns and the financial pressures and the relationship strains and the anxiety about what's going on out there in the culture, in the news, all the anxiety, all the fear, all the darkness. Can we kind of push that aside and make a space in our life to say, thank you, God, for the good things and name them. And praise his name for that. Paul says that is a wise use of time. You will become a wise person if you build this into your life. That is a good direction to go. Be careful how you're walking. The days are evil. So consider the direction of your life. And this is a good way to go. To be a thankful person. To be a person who sings to the Lord. Encourages one another in song. It's a spirit-filled way to live. And then uh, another spiritful way to live. Again, this isn't in the bulletin. I apologize. But verse 21 reads like this. And I had to really think carefully about how does this fit in to the overall idea of living in wisdom when he says, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That's an important connection. He's saying how you treat one another in the body of Christ indicates your reverence for Christ, who is the head of the body. There's this relationship that Paul is constantly stressing to the churches that the way we relate to one another in the body of Christ indicates our spiritual growth and maturity and our understanding. So submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. He says that this is a wise way to live. This is wisdom for a community. Because submitting to one another means that I'm willing to yield. I'm willing to yield. When there is a conflict, I'm willing to yield. It doesn't mean that we can't express our opinions, our strong opinions. It doesn't mean we yield on essential things that are central to the faith. But it does mean that there's a a spirit of yieldedness, especially in the midst of conflict in the body of Christ, that we need to practice. And Paul says this is very wise for the body of Christ, for the church. I read about, this is kind of a strange illustration, but I, I read about this biologist at, um, at Purdue University. Where's Bill? Purdue University. A biologist named William Murr who studied chickens. He was interested in chicken production and measuring chicken production. And he was just interested in the whole idea of production. And it's easy to measure productions when it comes to chickens because all you do is count the eggs. And so he took these two groups of chickens and one group was just your average ordinary chicken producer. And he said, I'm just going to let them do their thing for six generations. I'm going to leave them alone. And then I'm going to create this super group, the super chickens, the super producers, the high charging chickens. <laughs> and... Um, these were the chickens that were producing more than the average chicken. And so he selected them and then he would continue to select them. Um, the most productive chickens and create this super chicken group. And what did he find after six generations had passed? The first group, the average group was doing just fine. They were plump. 
Their feathers were, uh, they were fully feathered. Their egg production had increased. The second group, they were all dead but three. They had pecked each other to death. They had pecked the rest to death. And so these super chickens, they wanted to be at the top of the pecking order and they would not give up. And they would destroy the competition. And the point is, you know, that's the way of the super chicken world. And that's the way of so much of our world today, isn't it? You know, destroy the person who's in competition with you. It's a zero sum game. But Paul says not in the that's not the way of the body of Christ. That is not the way a healthy body can function. You need to have people who will yield. Who will submit to one another and yield. We're following a savior who gave his life, who submitted to the cross. And so one of the works of the spirit in our life is the spirit of being willing to yield. Gentleness is a fruit of the Holy Spirit. And Paul says that's a wise way to live. So God, our Heavenly Father, has given us wisdom throughout this book. And um, we are his children, not because we follow these guidelines, these admonitions perfectly. Uh, We are his children by his grace. And because he is gracious, he shows us, Okay, now here's a wise way to walk in the world. And not only does he tell us this, he gives us his Holy Spirit to empower us to live this out. And so we can give him thanks and praise for that. Amen.